This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. NVIDIA amps up its GPUs. Hacking epidemic hits European supercomputers. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Tiffany Trader. And Tiffany, This Week in HPC, it was the virtual GTC conference, and NVIDIA did not disappoint with a rousing kitchen keynote by CEO Jensen Wang. And the big news, of course, coming out of GTC was the launch of the Ampere A100 GPU. So this is the successor to Volta. The, the, the new A100 GPU is the successor to Volta. So um, the Volta was on the 12 nanometer process node. This is their. This is NVIDIA's first seven nanometer GPU, the Ampere. The, both both the both chips are manufactured by TSMC, and this one, the the new Ampere A100, packs 54 billion. 54 billion transistors onto 826 millimeters square of silicon. So it's making it the, the world's largest seven nanometer chip. Uh, it was it was launched during this this kitchen keynote that um, Nvidia put out May 14th. Uh, in the morning u.s time and this this architecture it increases the transistor count it was as was just mentioned it put it's got 600 uh, 6912 cuda cores 40 gigabytes of memory and nearly 1.6 terabytes per second of memory bandwidth so turns up the dial on all of those also provides greater ai optimization which we'll get into a little bit uh, adds third gen tensor cores uh, and introduces a number of other features um you know that are that are pretty noteworthy. Um, but first, I wanted to start with the key potential performance speedups that would be most applicable for our community and uh, relating to a number of new numerical formats introduced with the A100. So uh, one of the one of the most interesting ones is there's, there, there's, there's this new IEEE compliant tensor core instructions for HPC processing. And using those, the A100 provides a 2.5x increase in peak double precision floating point performance compared with the Volta. And then without that new format, it provides a 9.7 teraflops peak FP64. And that compares with 7.8 on the Volta. So there's a speed up there, but if we include those new tensor core instructions, that gives you the the 2.5X all the way to 19.5 teraflops peak FP64. Yeah, there's a couple of different things going on here in terms of the math and how much performance there is available. The traditional way that we measure 64-bit floating point performance, we're seeing that increase from 7.8 to 9.7, which is already a, a hefty enough increase, but doubling from 9.7 to the 19.5 is introducing a, a new methodology for matrix multiplication that's leveraging the tensor cores as part of the architecture that's, that's doing the math. And they're going from something that's a fixed multiply add to a matrix multiply add using the tensor cores. It's not completely clear to me yet exactly what how this works, but it is uh, showing speed up in terms of uh, certain situations. And I think it has to do with how the the, the essentially the vector math can get vectorized um, when you take more of an AI approach to uh, to how the math is done. Right, so um, potential 2.5x uh, speed up in peak, and then they also did some benchmarking on a number of a number of benchmarks that I, our community will 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 recognize popular, widely used uh, uh, codes. Um, and on those codes, they realized speed ups ranging between 1.5x and 
2.1x over over Volta. So they they were able to to get those on some key codes. Yeah, and the ones doing the best there, of course, are in the the physics engineering space, which have traditionally been strongholds for GPU computing. Where they have the applications ported, they tend to be fairly floating point heavy. They were showing a quantum chromodynamics code that was over a a doubling in performance, uh, along with an electron uh, path modeling code, uh, Berkeley GW, that was also getting uh, about double the performance. Beyond that, there's some other enhancements. When we get into the 32-bit and below, uh, there's not only the the attendant increase in the number of flops by reducing in uh, the precision going down to 32-bit, 64-bit, but also a new sparsity feature that for sparse matrices gets double the performance again. So at 32-bit, for example, you can be at 156 teraflops just using 32-bit with the tensor core, but then up to double that 312 teraflops using the sparsity feature. When you get down to 16-bit, then it's double that again. And with 8-bit, it's double that again. So uh, like we predicted, we're going to have a lot of discussion about precision in high-performance computing codes where... Uh, it's worthwhile to spend the computation on extra precision, but when you can drop it out, you can find that your codes can go a lot faster. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that that uh, there's that new feature, that structural sparsity feature that you were just talking about, that exploits the fine-grained, uh, fine-grained structured sparsity in deep learning networks, so it's, it can double the performance again. And then um, you know, there's also the, the third-generation NVIDIA NVLink fabric on here, which uh, doubles uh, the N. Um, the high-speed connectivity between the between GPUs, uh, as well as this other feature uh, that's pretty interesting. This is the multi-instance GPU, which is called the, the MIG for short, M-I-G. And that enables a single A100 GPU to be partitioned into as many as uh, seven separate GPUs. And, you know, using some of these these precision formats, NVIDIA was, was telling me that they will be, you know, more powerful, and uh, we did the math, and more co- cost efficient too than than the, the the T4 processors that they have now. Those are the Turing processors, you know. So, um, so that's notable. Yeah, seven is not a number that comes up very often in high performance computing. It's uh, one less than a power of two. <laughs> this this is an interesting feature, though. Essentially, it, it looks like virtualization, and uh, and I think this speaks to. NVIDIA's ability to target hyperscale types of deployments where you could see uh, perhaps even a multi-tenant AI situation. Now, it doesn't have to be multi-tenant. There could be any number of situations where uh, a single user wants to uh, partition that GPU smaller for uh, for various reasons having to do with, uh, say, data locality. Uh, but it is an interesting feature, and I think it will be most interesting to the uh, to the hyperscale buyers here. Yeah, so um, along with that, NVIDIA has also refreshed their DGX system and with a new form factor there. They're calling it their their third generation DGX, depending how you count, whether you include the DGX station, uh, which you know, would be the, the fourth form factor. So this is the DGX A100. Uh, they're designating it now after the, the CPU, I mean, after the GPU, which I think makes sense um, So there, to avoid confusion there. And so this has eight GPUs connected by that third gen NVLink and then the NVIDIA's NVLink switch as well. And notably, this is the, the first PCIe Gen 4 DGX, the first DGX server that supports 
that has full uh, Gen 4 components and capabilities in it. And so mainly for this reason, we get to another interesting point, which is that this, uh, this, is the, this DGX system swaps out Intel Xeons in favor of the second gen Epic ROM chips, which are those 64-core uh, Epic ROM. So to two of those together, you get 100, 128 cores and you know eight, eight channels of memory in each CPU. Um, and then that, that PCI 4, PCIe Gen 4 support is, is mainly what, um, what NVIDIA was going after, as, along with the, the higher core counts, which they said were important to, to running all of the, the GPUs. Yeah, incorporating all of the interconnect, especially with Mellanox now officially part of the same uh, company as NVIDIA, definitely notable. But yeah, I certainly took note of the AMD Epic Rome CPUs as part of the DGX. And you do an excellent job in your article on HPC Wire speculating is that strictly because of the price performance benefits of the Rome CPUs, or is there something there about the pushback against Intel? Now, that would be in the nature of the enemy of my enemy as my friend, but really AMD and Intel both have their own GPUs already either already in the field in the case of AMD or in the roadmap with the case of Intel. So uh, there's even the possibility that we could see an ARM CPU option in the DGX line in the future uh, if NVIDIA can push it that way. But for now, we're looking at the AMD and the current DGX, but the Intel still available in the HGX. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, an, an interesting side note here is that partners can still build Ampere servers using those HGX baseboards, those reference arcs. Uh, that's the, the essentially the core GPU elements um, and uh, NV elements of this, and they can still plug in Intel CPUs. In fact, one, one at least one server maker, Gigabyte, is is offering it in this configuration, um, pointing to the next gen, uh, the, the third gen Intel Xeon scalable processors, which which aren't out yet, but um, so, yeah. Um, and actually, you know, I also saw Atos announce a server and they even mentioned that they're going to um, be supporting uh, the, uh, the the upcoming Milan, um, you know, C CPUs in this when they come out. So we saw that on, on their roadmap. One last bit of announcement from NVIDIA that I thought was really noteworthy is that they've added additional super pods to their internal Saturn V supercomputer, which they're boasting is the largest AI supercomputer with nearly five exaflops of, of uh, peak computing. Yeah, that's right. So um, I think I know, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I noted what the, 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 FP64 of that would actually be quite impressive and put them, you know, vault them to within the top five or six, I think, of the top 500 list. However, in a, in a um, kind of a, a footnote, um, they did uh, explain that they weren't, they were, it wasn't completely one system. I think they alluded to four or five separate systems, but with a common management interface that made it all work together. So, you know, we could, we could uh, quibble about um, the one AI supercomputer, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of AI flops, Addison. As usual, our readers can get more information with the full article on HPC Wire. And also, as usual, we're going to wait and see how the market actually responds to these things. Intersect 360 Research has a survey currently in the field looking at vendor ratings, uh, awareness and future outlook uh, and current satisfaction for vendors across processors, servers, storage and cloud. So we'll see what end users are thinking about uh, NVIDIA relative to AMD, Intel and a few of the other options in the 
the processor space as those survey results start to roll in. Meanwhile, this week in HPC, and the other big story I really wanted to talk about is while the pandemic continues to rage across the globe, we've had a different sort of epidemic hit the supercomputing community in Europe with a spate of hacking going on, starting in Archer was the first supercomputer where it was reported in the UK, but now multiple labs across Europe reporting that their supercomputers have been hacked. Yeah, this is really unfortunate to hear about uh, this week. So we, we learned that as many as a dozen or more European supercomputers have been compromised with mal- malware in the past week or so. And a, a suspected motive is crypto jacking, you know, hacking to mine cryptocurrency for profit. Although we'll just say, state at the outset here that all the evidence is it's not all in yet um and you know to i don't think that we can say conclusively that 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 was the main motivator um but the uh the, the and the supercomputing centers along with some independent security firms are, are still investigating the matter but what we do know at this point is that at least three countries germany switzerland and the uk have been affected the supercomputers in those the supercomputers in those countries have been affected with another possible intrusion rumored in Spain. And among the dozen or so systems that were exploited, there was a Archer at the University of Edinburgh. They were one of the earliest to discover the exploit and to disable access to their system. And some of the other well-known centers that were impacted include HLRS in Germany, LRZ, ULIC, all in Germany, and then CS, CS in Switzerland. Yeah, these are, this is a really unfortunate story, of course, with these supercomputers doing such uh, important work, not only uh, in the current pandemic, but just in general. There are reasons we have these scientific supercomputers pushing the forefront of research and having to take them offline for any period of time or restrict access to them just hinders the, the global scientific community. Now, when the the Archer story first broke. There had been some speculation that a big motive was to uh, either impede or steal COVID-19 research, which, of course, the Archer supercomputer has been involved in. I haven't seen that corroborated since then, uh, although it's certainly a possible motive at any point in in the supercomputing community. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the current uh, party line is that it was for uh, cryptocurrency mining. Uh, just to uh, to get a lot of cycles to to go looking for bitcoins, uh, we don't know what the validity of that is, and or, or whether that could be a smokescreen for something more nefarious. But at this point, what's clear is that there there was a, a widespread uh, compromise of of a lot of these European supercomputers, and we don't know yet who the actors were or why. Uh, but bad news for the European supercomputing community. Yeah, that, that's all correct. And you know, according to uh, one cybersecurity firm that was investigating the matter, Cato Security, the access was gained through compromised user credentials uh, in Canada, China, and Poland. They suggest that the fingerprints, um, looks it looks like the same actor is responsible for many, if not all, of the attacks. They were also the firm that was noting that, that these uh, systems were potentially hijacked for cryptocurrency mining as well. Um, just one other thing to note is that, you know, as you were saying, with, you know, whether or not that they, 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 when the initial reports came in about Archer, the potential that it was potentially being hacked uh, um, to to look at COVID research, you know, con- contemporaneous, contemporaneous with this activity, on May 13th, a statement was put out 
by the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. warning of possible cyber attacks targeting COVID-19 research. So some more information on that side. But like we said, you know, all the evidence is out is not out and we don't, we don't know if it ever will be. Well, right. I don't know that this is one of those stories we'll ever get to the bottom of. There's so much political rhetoric going on now, particularly between the U.S. and China, that I think there's going to be very quick to be finger pointing in in both directions with regard to any sort of malfeasance, uh, especially with this being in a, a sort of neutral area in Europe where each country can point at the other. So I I, I think it's a, a horrible story, and I don't think we're ever going to know what the full truth is. There have been other stories, security-related, that we've also never had uh, the, the full uh, public reckoning of. But uh, hopefully we can get these important resources back online soon. Our listeners can get the full stories on HPC Wire. Tiffany, thanks again for the weekly news, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.